Bonjour everyone and welcome back to Casseline, the French football podcast with the accent. It's been a while. Uh, it was the World Cup and then I had to, uh, I guess, grief the final loss against Argentina. And now we are back with some Ligue 1 action. Of course, Casseline is, as usual, brought to you by the Breaking the Lines media. Jump on breakingthelines.com to read the last articles. A nice little portrait of um, Bilal Elkanous, the Moroccan young star. Um, a very, very interesting interview of Zach Lowy, oh, sorry, from Zach Lowy, of Rui Silva, the um, goalkeeper of Betis Seville. Um, and a nice little explanation of, um, you know, why Boxing Day 1963 is so famous in England. Anyway, a lot more to read on Breaking the Lines. Go and check it out. And of course, the usual podcasts um, that are on the Breaking the Line network that you can listen on all your platform. The, the last one was that road to Qatar um, that I did with um, my friend Ristik and unfortunately it didn't, um, it didn't give much luck to France in, in that final that Argentina won. Uh, we're back in Ligue 1 um, and in Ligue 1 during that break, not a lot has changed except of course, you know, we kind of have left the French football with a few less coaches than what we had at the beginning of the season and a few coaches were just here sort of like in interim waiting for a new head coach to be um, hired and only one new coach really arrived so you know as a reminder uh, Brest, Reims, Montpellier and Troyes were without a coach at the World Cup break and Troyes recruited uh, Patrick Kisnorbo from the City Football Club in Melbourne City. So, you know, Troyes is also part of the City Football Club. So they, they basically poached a, a coach from a sister club. And this episode will actually be me and Christian Marchetti, who is an Australian journalist and who knows very well um, the A-League and Melbourne City in particular, talking about Patrick Kistambou and what he's going to bring um, to Ligue 1 and, and what we can expect from him at Troyes and what he did at Melbourne City and, and how successful he was. He's a young coach. He's, he's 41 years old. Um, so yeah, we will talk basically at length about it and I'll be the 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 episode really will be just a, a presentation of Keith Norbrook because I don't really want to do a, a big preview on, on all the games but for um, you know the extra information you should know that um, Will Steele the, the British um, coach who was um, sort of like waiting for a new coach to be hired at Reims well, was actually given the um, the job and he's going to keep it at least until the end of the year, which uh, interestingly enough, Will still doesn't have a UEFA license, um, so or not the pro license. So that means that uh, Reims every single game will pay a fee of twenty five thousand euro um, to be able to have him um, on their bench. And then yeah, we we mentioned Brest and Montpellier. Well, they're going to keep their uh, their interim coach Bruno Gugi uh, and Romain Pito. And the last one was Angers uh, with. Bacic, who was kind of like thanked but not fired yet. He's been officially fired now. He's not in Angers anymore. Um, so Abdel Bouhazama, who was in charge of the academy at Angers, he's now sitting on the bench and he will be for the foreseeable future. Of course, Ligue 1 starts for once between Christmas and New Year's because of um, because of the, that World Cup that was in November and December. Uh, and the, 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 the 10 games will be Ajaccio against Angers, Troyes against Nantes, Auxerre against Monaco, Clermont against Lille, Paris against Strasbourg, Brest against Lyon, Lorient against Montpellier, Reims against Rennes, and Marseille-Toulouse, and Nice-Lens, excuse me, that's 10 there. So that's what we're going to have this weekend. I don't know when I'm going to do a next episode because I'm actually flying to France um, on the 30th and I'll be in France for a whole month. So I'll see if I have time to 
make some podcasts, but I'll definitely be content on my Twitter page and I'm going to watch a game at the Stade Vélodrome, Marseille against Lorient on the, on the 15th of January, if I'm not mistaken. So stay tuned, keep following. Uh, but for now, today's episode is about this new coach, Australian coach. The first time an Australian coach is coaching in one of the big five of Europe. Of course, there's also Ange Postecoglou at uh, Celtic Glasgow right now, who has a uh, quite a successful couple of seasons uh, but that's the first time that we have an Australian coach in you know either England Italy Spain Germany or France uh, and so it's great to have him here and Christian Marchetti was gave me did me the honor of accompanying me to to introduce Patrick Kisnobo to our Ligue 1 fans so enjoy this interview of Christian Marchetti and stay tuned and, and I hope to be able to release another podcast while I'm in France in the next three or four weeks thanks guys enjoy We're going to talk about, well, one of the newcomers in Ligue 1 during that World Cup break. We we inherited a new coach, a few new coaches, but this one is uh, it's quite important because it's a bit of a historical move for the country that he's from. Patrick Kisnorbo is the new coach at 3AC. And, and who better to talk to me about an Australian coach than an Australian expert, Christian Marchetti. Uh, chief editor, founder of the Front Page Football, uh, and, and accessorily uh, one of my bosses for uh, the articles that I write in Australia. <laughs> How are you, Christian? Good, good, Jeremy. Uh, and looking forward to talking a little bit about this move, because as you said, it's a historical move, and I think uh, it, it deserves some attention. So Patrick Kisnorbo, Australian, the first time ever that an Australian coach is heading um, a club in the top five leagues. Of course, the other Australian coach that is um, worth knowing right now is Ange Posekoglu, who's doing okay uh, at Celtic since he, since he um, went on the bench a couple of years and a half ago now. Uh, but Patrick Kisnorbo has some experience in Europe. He's played um, in Scotland at Hearts, where he played against French team Bordeaux in the UEFA Cup. Uh, and then he had a, a couple of stunts in Leicester and Leeds back when those two teams weren't in the Premier um, League uh, in, in England. And then he went back home and, and he started his uh, coaching, um, I guess, adventure career. But that's the first time that we're going to see him coaching outside of Australia. You know, Christian, just sort of quickly, as a player, Patrick is not born in Australia. Mm. Um, how was he considered b back when he was still playing? So I think um, he was so he was a defender, and having played in England for for quite a while, he's very much of that mold of of those kind of tough as nails, very um, you know hard man kind of defenders. Um, and uh, he would always, you know, you'd always come across a lot of images with him uh, with basically bandages struck around his head and, and stuff like this. You know, he wasn't afraid to to get involved in in tackles and put his body on the line. Um, and then. We in Australia got to see a bit of him as a player uh, right at, towards the end of his career when he when he came uh, back and played for for what they were known as Melbourne Heart at the time uh, briefly, and then when they changed to Melbourne City, who of course is the club he's he's joining Trois from uh, as well. So it, yeah, a very very hard defender um, and uh, and a good defender as well. I think he you know he had a pretty pretty decent career in England. Uh, you mentioned there with Hearts as well, played in the UEFA Cup. In the in the early two thousands there as well, so you know um, he's uh, 
yeah, he had a he had a decent playing career, um, and I think he's got he's got the potential that I think with his managerial career to, to potentially eclipse what he did as a player. So um, uh, it's going to be interesting to see what he does. Yeah, 18 uh, cap with the Socceroos between 2002 and, and 2009 in, in a career that was um, marked by injuries back when he was in England. And so then, as you mentioned, he's back in, in Australia. He plays for Melbourne City. And at the end of his career, he started coaching for the club who was then um, already owned by the City Football Club. Uh, and, and I think it's fair to say that he had a, a few successes um, as a coach. So first, he was the coach of the women's team of Melbourne City, uh, with which he finished fourth on the table, but then wins the grand final in his first and only year at the head of the women's team of Melbourne City. And then he becomes the assistant coach with the men. And when finally he takes over the men, when um, Eric Monberts uh, comes back home to, to France in his first year, Premiers, which is top of the table, uh, and wins the um, the grand final. And in the second year, Premier again, but then on the second year, uh, it doesn't win the grand final. He loses it against Western United. And it was uh, just in, back in May um, 2022. Obviously, a successful coach, Christian. Uh, but was there a bit of a surprise seeing him taking over from Eric Monberts when, when Monberts moved, moved on from Melbourne City? Yeah, potentially. I think that... Given Melbourne City, um, you know, with the City Football Group backing uh, and and their their background, I think maybe people expect them to maybe bring in a big name or someone you know that that we haven't heard of before. So the fact that they moved to Kisnorbo when when Mombart, uh went back to France was maybe a bit of a surprise, but I do think they kind of got that kind of philosophy about them though, Melbourne City, that they they do kind of trust people who are already working in the club and, and who have built up uh, a reputation within the club. Uh, you mentioned there, obviously, Chris Norbert was coaching the women's team. Before that, he was even coaching the, the youth team as well at the club. And then um, you also had, of course, he was assisting under Warren Joyce before uh, Mombarts as well for a little bit too. So, um, you know, they've always kind of trusted their own. And I think he, which I, I guess we'll talk about a little bit in the moment, but uh, he and Mombart and he's spoken about this, I think, in, in interviews since Mombar left, but they seemed very close and they had a very strong relationship and a very uh, similar idea in the way that they see football and they want their teams to play. Yeah, well, great that he's going to Troyes where uh, Mombart is yeah. the uh, the technical director, but also the the City Football Group advisor at the club and also the, the reserves coach. So they're going to... Uh, to have a, a close relationship um, in France as well. How much of those success with the with the men's team, talking about what he did post Montbart, how much of this success is is him versus the the team that he's coaching? So of course, players that you know the, the listeners might know. There's Florian Florian Berenguer, the the French player who used to play in in Dijon and in Sochaux back in France before he went to to Australia. But people who know a bit more about uh, Australian football would know the the name of um, Demi McLaren, who scores like four goals a game uh, at an average in Australia for the past three seasons. Um, how, how much of that do you put to him versus that talent that is in that team? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. And I think it's something that um, a lot of non-Melbourne City fans uh, in Australia probably debate around Kisnorbo and, and they think, well, he's, you know, is he, is he not that good because he's always had a good squad and, and Melbourne City are always able to spend, you know, and max out with the salary cap and, and, and you know, bring in really good foreigners and this and the other. I don't think that's really fair because I think one thing, and this is for probably European listeners uh, listening to the podcast, is that in Australia we have, you know, a salary cap and we have a lot of restrictions around how you can build, you know, your squad. So it's not 
a case of as a club being able to roll over with the same group of players every year and have that continuity. It's not it's not that easy. Um, so I think the way that he was able to keep a core group of players together um, really helped him imprint the style that he wanted to. And it's one of the reasons that they, you know, had success straight away and that they were really near the top throughout his whole tenure as 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 head coach. Um, so I, I think it's I think he's a little bit underrated here in Australia, to be honest. I think maybe there's a there's a feeling and, and it's probably fair a little bit that because Twa and, and Melbourne City have a close relationship because of the City Football Group, maybe that helped him and probably Momba as well, that probably helped him get get the job. And maybe if there wasn't that relationship you know, maybe he wouldn't be going directly into Europe from from Australia, which I'll admit is a bit of a surprise uh, to take that big of a leap. But, um, you know, you look into it and you break it down a little bit further and it's not that, it's not that outlandish. So, um, yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see how he's, how he's able to now manage probably different personalities as well, you know, coaching, coaching in a big league like France uh, and, and, you know, Coaching in an environment where you've got the fear of relegation, which which Twa, you know, obviously are fighting at the moment. So uh, having those different expectations will be interesting as well. The last one on on Melbourne City: seventy one mm. games as the head coach, forty one win, fifteen defeat, fifteen losses. So that's a fifty seven percent win percentage, which is outstanding. Um, What, what's his brand of football? How does he get to get all those wins? Is he, uh, you know, is he a pack the bus and counter attack um, Mourinho style, or is he a, a Guardiola style rather? What, what, what did you see when he was at Melbourne City? Well, he's definitely not Guardiola, but um, if we if we're um, leaning towards either Mourinho or Guardiola, he's definitely more towards a Guardiola type for sure. Um, so I think you know it's. He's, I'd like to compare him. I don't think he's as good as as Ange Postecoglou, but in terms of the way he wants to play, it's, it's probably very similar. So everything's high intensity. It's it's possession based. It's high pressing. Uh, it's obviously attacking as a result. And one thing as well, uh, you know, there's a lot of playing out from the back. I think Twaz fans can expect him. You know, the goalkeeper will be playing with the ball on the floor. Um, I'll, I'll be very surprised if there's a lot of um, direct play. To be honest, uh, I think. The other thing as well is in Australia, probably in his first season, actually when he took over uh, with Melbourne City and he continued this from Momba who, who introduced this in Australia, which was the idea of inverted fullbacks and, um, you know, fullbacks coming into midfield and overloading midfield area. That was something we hadn't really seen in Australia um, from, from any coach or any team. And that was something that he did really well in, in that title winning year with Melbourne City. Uh, and we've seen it, you know, and just is, you know, the real disciple for attacking football in Australia. It's something that he's done, for example, with Celtic. So uh, that was a real first. And I think with Kisnorbo, in terms of his demeanor and his personality, uh, and you'll see it, I think, on the sidelines, he's, he's rarely satisfied. Uh, and he's very much, you know, we don't stop. We keep going. If we're 4-0 up, I want five. I want six. I don't care. Um, and uh, it's, again, I say that it's interesting because that, That mentality is is easy to kind of be like that. I think as a coach, when you know you're you're near the top and you're winning games, but it's going to be interesting how that maybe changes or how that rubs onto the players when you're potentially fighting relegation. You know, so um, how are they going to respond to that? Is it going to be a bit different? Um, but you know, uh, here in Australia, we've had a, a new series that the that the league's been doing, which is like a a legal access uh, um, where they go in behind the scenes of of coaches and players, and they did one on Kisnorbo. Uh, a few weeks ago and you could really see 
you know, how seriously he takes everything, how intense he is, um, you know, not just not just the man management side, but the tactical side and the and the opposition analysis and and preparing for every situation of the game. He's very methodical. Uh, he's very intense, um, and I think that's that's going to make for an interesting interesting um, spell. I think in France. Yeah, I'm going to make sure to put the link to that um, all access on Kiss Novo, uh, the YouTube link because French um, or any listener and watcher can see it on YouTube um, because it's a great episode and you really see um, inside of, of the Mount City locker room, uh, Melbourne City locker room, sorry, and what Kiss Norbo, um d- does do there, did do there, excuse me. You you said that, you know, there was a bit of a surprising Kiss Norbo going to Troyes, obviously, because it's a big leap going to France, but also there was that City Football Group uh, link there that explains that. Um, what was the, the general reaction in Australia seeing Keith Norbo being given a chance? And was there any, um, you know, any signs that said that that might happen? I don't think, I don't think there was any signs. Um, it was, it was pretty surprising, I think, but I, I also think that in Australia, you know, we don't, uh, particularly in the coaching space, it's not like we have a lot of massive success stories and, and, and coaches going to Europe every week. So I think overwhelmingly the, the re- response was very much, you know, wow, this is fantastic. Um, to, to see this coach going and, and even, even Melbourne City fans who, who, in, in one aspect, for sure, would have been slightly disappointed because he's been so great for them. At the same token, they were very, you know, pleased and, and wished him well because, uh, I think they, they believe he's, he's ready as well. Um, but I think my surprise as well was, you know, you look at Ange as a good example. You know, he went to Japan first and then he moved into Europe with Celtic. Kevin Muscat's doing very well in Japan at the moment. And, and everyone now maybe expects him very soon at some point to go into Europe after that. But Kisnolbo's kind of uh, dodged the Asian route and he's just gone straight to Europe, which is, which is probably where the surprise comes from. Um, and. I think as well that the other thing was hearing that Twa was in a relegation battle and and I felt that was maybe a bit of a risk, you know, going with someone who hasn't coached in Europe before and bringing them in when you're fighting a relegation battle is, is probably a bit risky. Um, and, he, and he hasn't dealt really with a situation like this in his coaching career before. Um, as I said before, he's, he's been coaching a team that's always near the top. He's won premierships, championships um, as well. Uh, the only maybe argument against that uh, was that earlier this year when Melbourne City competed in the Asian Champions League, um, they they actually did really well uh, and they were probably the only Australian side and one of the you know few Australian sides in, in recent years to do very well. Um, you know, they were undefeated in the group stage, but they were really unlucky and they didn't get through to, to the next round. And they didn't even get through as one of the best second place teams, even though they got 12 points from six games. So, you know, it was actually quite unlucky when you look back at it. Um, so when you look at that on a continental aspect, you know, he actually did quite well. So that's maybe something that, you know, uh, you can measure a bit more similarly to, to how he's going to go in France. But, um, overall, I think everyone's really, Hoping he does well, uh, and he and he flies the flag high for uh, for Australia. He's joining a team that has conceding a whole lot of goals. Uh, I mean, offensively they're okay, twenty six goals scored in in fifteen games, which is better than teams like Lyon and Nice and and, and Reims and Toulouse. Uh, like I think only four or five teams have done better than him. Uh, than trois, I should say. But defensively, they considered 31 goals in 15 games. So basically, two goals every single game, a bit more than that. Um, 
you said that he's a former defender and and uh, he's been used to play from the back, which I'm assuming comes from you know the more you have the ball, the less you have to defend it. So he probably has a bit of that um, mi- mm-hmm. mindset. We haven't really seen him doing this, coming back from a complicated season and, and, and bringing the team back. But would you say that from how he was coaching at Melbourne City, having a, a strong defence was at the base of everything else? Yeah, I think with Melbourne City, though, it was more their, their pressing, which was probably the, the lead factor in, in helping them defensively. In the first year that he was head coach, they were they were pretty pretty exquisite in, in all aspects of the game, to be honest. And, and that's why they were by far the best team. The second season, there was a drop-off defensively and, and that did hurt them. Um, but yeah, I, I think w- the other thing which is interesting about this is, you know, th- they're going to need results short-term. And I'm not saying Kisnorbo can't deliver short-term results, but if he wants to imprint the style that he wants, then he might need a little bit of time. Um, and that's going to be interesting to see whether they're, whether they're, you know, going to be able to give up maybe a couple of defeats here and there in order to sacrifice long term a coach that can that can potentially unlock you know more out of their players and 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 imprint a good attacking style. So that will be interesting. But I also think going back to the Momba aspect of this and his presence might actually help him. You know, buy some time. You know, and and introduce his ideas to the players um, because he's got, he's got someone that he trusts, someone that um, trusts him as well. And he's got a very strong relationship there uh, with him. And that's, that's only going to help in my opinion. Yeah, it absolutely sounds like a a city football group appointment uh, of somebody that we trust at least in his attitude. And then whatever the results are, that they'll be okay with it. It's interesting because they had a coach, Laurent Batles, who was, sounds like, playing the football that Kisnobo plays. And then they mm. got him out halfway through last season and got a coach that was playing a bit more direct football than defensively. Mm. Uh, and that didn't work out for them. And he played the whole first part of the season with um, three defenders. And then Kisnobo arrives and his first two friendlies, he plays the 4-3-3, no more 4-5-4-1. So already mm. they had to adapt to that. Um, and, and mind you, in two games against Leicester and, and Paris FC, they didn't score. Um, so there'll definitely be a... a a bit of work for him but as you said it's going to be about how long they give him and he's not getting a a great start as far as the calendar playing um, Nantes and Strasbourg in his first week and then it's Lille, Marseille, Lille again, uh, Lens, Toulouse, mm. Lyon so it's a, it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty harsh first month for somebody who's <laughs> who's only getting a taste of it again it's hard to compare because of the success that he had uh, in Manchester City but do you think that he has the the shoulders, the resilience to to sort of like go through what could be a complicated start and and always keep his head up and take accountability and bring his players through it. I think I don't think he's going to have problems dealing with with personalities. To be honest, I actually I've got a lot of confidence in that aspect of it. Maybe maybe with the older players potentially. Look, I'm not that familiar with with the twice squad. I'll, I'll be honest, but potentially the the older, more experienced heads might think you know you know they might question his his credibility or, or something like that who knows but I think you look at and this was the other thing I was going to mention before but in the last couple of years that he's been Melbourne City coach the the young players he's actually developed as well as well as you know that the foreign players who have helped them with their success has been has been really good um so you know those guys like 
Marco Tilio and Jordan Boss right now uh, for Melbourne City, who are two really good, fantastic young Australian players. Who definitely Tilio is is a player I think a lot of us here in Australia think can can go and play in Europe. And then you've got two players in Nathaniel Atkinson and Connor Metcalf, who were who were a part of success before, not not right now. They're not in the squad now, but were previously a part of success with Melbourne City. And Atkinson now plays for for Hearts in Scotland. And Metcalf now plays in, in the second Bundesliga in Germany with, with Connor Metcalf. So he's shown that he can get the best out of players who are who are older and 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 in the latter stages of their career, but he can also develop young players as well. Um so I think that's that's something which is good for, for Twice fans because you know that you you hope that he's gonna trust young uh, the young players at the club who are coming through, even even in a time like this where you know results are paramount and and of and of you know the utmost importance. So the other thing, um, Jeremy, which you were talking about twice before, and you talked about how defensive is important. I actually think something which is really important for him um, going into this job, and one thing that he'll look at and and take a lot of encouragement from is that. In the in the bottom half, at least, they are the the highest goal scoring team, um, which for for him I think is important because he his philosophy is attacking, it's score goals, it's you know we don't stop, we want to keep scoring goals uh, as much as possible, and he's got a team which clearly shows it can do that already. So if he can harness that and keep getting this team to score and score regularly, and then now mix it in with with the stuff that he did really well in Melbourne City, which is to, to press high and defend from the front. Then I think that'll be that'll be really good for 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 him, and that'll be good for the players. Um, and you know, it's a it'll be a double boost really for the team if they can not just get results to move away from relegation, but also do it in an attractive style, playing a really good brand of football. Um, you know, that's going to be that's going to be fantastic, and he's really going to you know uh, indent himself to the fans and the club uh, really quickly. So um, yeah, sound that sounds exactly like what Trois needs. Um, they have that mix of experienced and, and younger player. And so I think yeah, what you said is probably exactly music to the ears of, of any Trois fans who would listen to uh, to the podcast now. Just the last question really uh, for you, Christian, as, as an Australian who's seeing uh, for the first time a coach from your nationality in the top five, um, what kind of success do you expect for him in France? I mean, we said it throughout the those 20 minutes now. There's that relegation battle. Four teams are going down at the end of the season. Trois mm. is just a point above it, but there's definitely teams that are worse than Trois this season. It's going to be about who, who managed the second part best. Um, what are your expectations for him in France? Well, um, and and I don't want to be massively pessimistic, but I just hope it's it's not a situation where he's sacked after two months or something crazy like that, um, to be honest. I just, you know, hopefully... Whatever happens, he gets he gets the rest of the season, um, and he has time to to help them, you know, move up the table and and imprint his style. Because I do think that if he can get through the remainder of this season and do really well, then you know he'll have the off season. I'm sure he'll he'll want to dip into the transfer market and sign some players that that he wants as well. And uh, potentially with a preseason, then they'll be better in the long term. So I think my expectation is, you know. Uh, just just try and wait out this this initial period um, where, where the fans probably expect with the new manager results to come straight away, um, and that's not easy to deal with. But I think he can. I think he can do it. And I think if you can get through the first period, then I think um, 
you know, it'll be a, and I really hope it will be, a good appointment for them long term. Well, we're certainly looking forward to it. First game for Patrick Kisnobo in Ligue 1 against Nantes Thursday. Sorry, I'll be in France at that time. Wednesday on the 28th of December uh, at night. It'll be Thursday morning at 1 a.m. here uh, in Australia. But it's going to be uh, great to have an Australian representative on the bench in France. Christian, thank you so much for giving us a bit of your time. Uh, And and look, I look forward to having you again on the pod to talk about all the future successes of um, Patrick Kisnobo. Yeah, Kisnobo. And then, you know, we've also got uh, like Denis Jondero as well mm-hmm. in France at the moment. Um, so, Alex yeah. Alex is doing okay in the second division. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, we've got we've got a few people uh, in, in France at the moment, a few players, coaches, um, and, and keeping an eye on them as well. Everybody, they're taking over now that they had their great World Cup. <laughs> the Socceroos, they're taking over Europe. Thanks, Christian. Thanks for your time, man. No worries.